Good morning again, church. Just going to right off the bat say there is nothing like the presence of God. There is nothing and no one like our God. Amen? So, is Miss Jean Whalen? Where are you? Just raise your hand so I can see. Oh, raise your hand wherever you are. So, Miss Jean came up and during the, it was Miss Jean, right? Yeah. So, she came up during the worship service and she read from Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 to 20. As luck would have it, luck, guess what I'm preaching out of? Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 to 20. Isn't that our God? Oh, it gets better. So Corey was felt prompted by the Spirit to come up and give, to read it. But then she thought, she already knew that this is what I was going to talk about. And so she thought, you know what, I'm not going to go up because that's his sermon. And who knows it, Miss Jean comes up, she turns to Imelda and says, she's going to read from Ephesians 3, 14, 20. She says that, Miss Jean starts and says, for this reason, which is how it starts. That is our God, only our God. And that's how we know that our God speaks. And my goal today here is just to argue one thing with that, that the most important thing the most important key and engine that runs your life is a knowledge of God's love and a love for God. And so I'm going to start by reading Ephesians 3, 14, 20 again. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Shall we pray? My God, I ask that you speak, that you continue to speak. I thank you for confirming that this is the word you have for us today. But God, we cannot apply your word without your spirit helping us. And so I ask God, even as we, as I speak, I pray that it may be as though I speak the very words of God. I pray that you may speak through me and I ask that you may eliminate all distractions in our mind, internal and external, O oh God, that we may hear the word that you've purposed for us today. Holy Spirit, would you begin to work in our hearts would you begin to uproot all that which isn't of you? And would you give us a desire for more of you? Would you give us a desire for more of you? We honor you. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So happy, almost happy new year. Today is the last Sunday of the year. Would you believe it? So in the way that life is, I know it's been different for a lot of you, you know, um, for a lot of you, or for some of you, it has been a lot of mountaintop experiences. You know, you've experienced really good things. You got married, congratulations, you got engaged, you graduated high school or college, or um, you got a new job, or you were promoted at your job. You had a baby, you know, or you found out you were expecting a baby. Um, you bought a house, so on and so forth. The blessings of God are so very many. 
Maybe you had someone who was sick and you prayed for them and they received their healing, you know. Um, or a loved one who was away from the Lord has come back to the Lord. All these things are awesome. And praise be to our God because he's the one who does good things. And it is so very easy to see God when things are going great. As Pastor Selwyn used to say, it's so much easier to trust God when my bank account is full. But in the way that life is, maybe this is in you. Maybe your year was more valley than mountaintop. You had some downs that really rocked your world. You know, we just experienced one with the Jenga family and, you know, a fire in their house and on Christmas Eve, no less, you know, where harsh reality invaded hopeful expectation. Maybe the opposite of all the things that I've said happened to you. You know, maybe you were um, fired from your job unexpectedly. Maybe your marriage is on the rocks or ended in divorce, you know. Maybe a sour relationship got strained or loved ones who are far away from the Lord seem more than ever far away from the Lord. You know, maybe you received some tough news this year of sickness or maybe someone close to you um, developed some health issues or maybe you lost someone or maybe this was your first year going through holidays without that person in your life. Now, all these things, both in the moment they happen and in the ensuing days, weeks, and months. These are difficult things to process. But the beautiful thing, as I said, is our God, He never changes. In this world, we will face trouble, but take heart, because He has overcome the world. I said a few weeks ago during worship that one of God's character qualities is that He is immutable. I just like saying that word. It's such a good word, immutable. Now, immutable means unchanging over time, or unable to be changed. I'll read um, from Lamentations chapter 3, 22 to 23. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Our God is immutable. Our God doesn't change with time. He remains the same. You know, this Hebrew word that's translated into steadfast love is the word hased or hesed. I don't speak Hebrew besides that one word. So if you speak Hebrew and that's not the pronunciation, I am sorry. <laughs> but um, hesed means steadfast love. And it's a love that's based on a covenant. And a covenant we know is a legal agreement or a legal contract. And this is a love based on that a legal contract commitment. It is a loyal and faithful love. Keyword here being loyal. It's a love that in your ups is there in your downs. It's there. It's a love that never changes. It's the love that God, over and over in the Bible, you will find old through New Testament, the love that God expresses to his children, all of those who have believed in him and now live under his grace. In fact, said is one of the character definitions of God's personal name. In Exodus, God is having this conversation with Moses when he's sending him to, uh, to go deliver the Israelites. And Moses asks, who shall I say sent me? And God introduces himself to Moses using his personal name, the name Yahweh. He says, the Lord, the Lord, a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in what? in steadfast love and truth. God is so serious 
about this love that he weaves it into his own name. That as long as he knows that his name is Yahweh, as long as he knows that his name is the Lord, he knows I have promised this steadfast love to my people. Man, that should give us so much peace. That should give us so much peace. It's not a love that's contingent on what you do. It's not a love that's contingent on how good you are. And good works are good, you know. But God doesn't love you anymore when you're having a great week, you're reading the Bible every morning, you're fasting, you're praying. It makes you more aware of His presence, but He doesn't love you more. God's love for you is above and beyond, is infinite. And when you have an off week, maybe you said something you shouldn't have said, you uh, behaved in a way you shouldn't have be- behaved, and, and you're not proud of yourself, God doesn't love you any less. God would not be God if His love was contingent on what we do. He is self-complete in Himself. Knowing Him, knowing His name, is accessing that name and having access to all His character qualities. This steadfast love, this love that God never, that God always has. No, we say that God never fails. And I I love what James and Christina have said. Again, it's so easy to say God has been good. You know, like for instance, myself, I got a job this year and it's amazing and and I prayed and, and God is so good. It's easy to say praise be to God because I got a job. It's what I'd been praying for. It's the answer to my prayer. So much harder to say praise be to God when your home burns to the ground when you lose everything. Our God never fails. That testimony is a testament of God never failing. You know, in college, I took a philosophy 101 class. Naturally, that makes me a philosopher. You know, when they speak of Aristotle and Plato, they say Tim. But anyway, I learned, I forgot everything. Like, no kidding, I forgot everything in that class. I just remember this one thing because it so fascinated me. I learned that anytime anyone or anything uses an absolute term, like never or, or always, that's claiming that 100% of the time, the result remains the same. That if I claim that I am always good, a thousand times out of a thousand times, I will always be good. Now, the thing is to debunk that, to call that out as a lie, you don't need to find a hundred instances where that was false. You don't even need to find 50. You only need to find one. If I say I am always good and I've been good 6,000 times, you only need to find one to debunk that as a lie. So God says he's always faithful. He never fails. His love never ends. His love never ceases. You don't need to find 10 instances of God's love failing to debunk that is a lie. You just need to find the one. And it should be easy, right? God has lived forever. But so serious about his own nature is he that he says, I never lie. I am always faithful. I am always true. My love never ceases. So if your year has been or you're in a season of your life that has been a struggle, look up to that has said that steadfast love that love that will never fail. And just for context's sake, those verses in Lamentations, or rather the verses before the verse I read, they're not verses of joy, you know. Jeremiah is not talking out of, out of joy and happiness. If lament, the name Lamentations isn't a hint enough, um, 
it's, uh, these are verses of brokenness. I'm just going to read um, the verses right before that, Lamentations 3, 14 to 20. This is Jeremiah speaking. And Jeremiah is a prophet in Israel, and God calls him and tells him, I will put my word in your mouth, and he sends him out, and he tells him, you will be powerful, you will bring down nations. However, however, this plays out. Jeremiah goes, he tells people the message of God. People laugh in his face. Um, he tells them that they need to repent or Israel will be destroyed and, and be taken captive. No one takes him seriously. He gets uh, thrown in a dungeon once. And so he's, he's had it rough. And so he says, I became the laughingstock of all my people. They mock me in song all day long. He has filled me with bitter herbs and sated me with gall. He has broken my teeth with gravel. He has trampled me in the dust. I have been, I, I have been deprived of peace. I have forgotten what prosperity is. Now, Jeremiah, mind you, is talking to God. This is him venting to God. I don't know if you guys have venting sessions with God where things are just not going well and you tell him to his face that you have a word or two that you'd like to have with him. You know, because he is God and we're, we only live for this much time. But anyway, in, 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 um, he goes on to say, So I say, my splendor is gone, and all that I had hoped for from the Lord. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. He says, I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. But then his thought changes. Verse 21, yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. That sentence is just beautiful. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Now, Hallman commentary says, Just as quickly as Jeremiah was tempted by bitter thoughts, he adopts a better line of thought. Instead of brooding over his anguish and his sorrow, he says he will put his hope in the love of God because God's love, God's mercies never end. In tough times... Set your eyes upon Jesus. Man, if there is anything I can always say, and truth be told, I could be asked to speak 10 out of 10 times. I'll probably speak the same variation of the same message, or rather different variations of the same message, saying God's love never ceases. Fix your eyes upon Jesus. Fix your eyes upon Jesus. And so my question today is, how can we, how can Jeremiah talk like this? How can he think like this? And I believe we find insight in that, in that prayer that, um, that we read from Ephesians. You know, Paul, who writes this prayer to the churches, he isn't writing in the best of circumstances. He's either in prison. History has him either in prison or under house arrest. But either way, he's not a free man. And we know how his story ends. We went through the book of Philippians his earthly journey ends with him being decapitated or beheaded. Is that one and the same thing? Anyway, let's not dwell on that. So he knows a thing or two about hardship. And here's what he says. For this reason. Just stop there real quick. What reason? And in chapter 2, Paul speaks of the absurdity of the gift of salvation. Not in those words. That's a Tim paraphrase. He says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, 
But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. But because of his great love for us, man, let that free you. If you go to God only when you feel like you've been measuring up, let that free you. God doesn't love you because you do good stuff. God loves you because he loves you. God loves you because he loves you. Because of his great love for us, God made us alive in Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Then he says that in Christ Jesus, we who were once far off have been brought near through the blood of Jesus Christ. And we are no longer foreigners and aliens, but we are fellow citizens with God's people. And we are members of God's household. And what we saw here this morning was that in practice. Members of God's household coming together to be God's people to each other. This truth blows Paul's mind. And truth be told, if you just meditate on that scripture, and I encourage you to once you go home, read that scripture, meditate on it. it this truth blows his mind. This truth should blow our minds. Paul knows that truly knowing this truth of God's love is the key. And then he goes on to pray, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I love this next verse. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, you know, the Bible uses such strong language. Rooted, I looked it up. Not that I had to really. Rooted is just rooted, right? But rooted, firmly planted, unshakable, unwaverable, and established is having been in existence for a long time and therefore generally accepted. And so if I'm to throw that into the prayer, he says, and I pray that you, being firmly planted in love, in an unshakable and unwaverable way, recognizing and undoubtedly accepting this love, with that all in place, that you may have power, together with all the Lord's people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. You know, the, the word that translates into know, I guess I do know another Hebrew word, is yada, Y-A-D-A. Now, the idea of knowing and the idea of that yada-ing in ancient Hebrew is similar to our understanding, but where there is a difference is that it's more personal and more intimate. You know, in this day and age, I can follow everybody. I can follow all of you on Instagram. I can look at your photos, and I can feel like, I can begin to feel like I know you. For example, you know who I know? I know Denzel Washington. I, I, I know him, but I, I can tell you who does not know me, <laughs> Denzel Washington. You know, we can start, begin to feel like we know people because we know some facts about them, and there is danger there. And church, if you, if I, if you get nothing else, I want you to get that there is a lot of danger in knowing some facts about Jesus. Yeah, Jesus. I know Jesus. He was born in Bethlehem. He died in a tomb, and he died on a cross, went to a tomb, got raised to life. I go to church three times a year. 
two times a year, Easter and Christmas. There's a danger there. You know of, but you don't truly know. But in Hebrew thought, that yada means to know personally and intimately. You know, in Genesis, God says to Abraham, I know him. God's speaking of Abraham. And what he means is that he has a very close relationship with Abraham. This same word is used in Genesis uh, 4 verse 1. It says, Adam knew his wife Eve, implying obviously a very intimate relationship. So the idea that Paul is going for here is not Jesus loves me, this I know. You know, that's great and that's a great foundation, but it needs to progress beyond that. Paul's is, Paul is talking about a love that is so deep, personal, and intimate, and it grows into a towering oak or sequoia that cannot be moved. On a side note, I, I, I know the, the vehicle, the SUV, Toyota Sequoia. I did not know Sequoia was a tree. And so I heard it in a song. I was listening to a song, and, and we're with, I was with my wife, and we were in church, and the person sang from something to Sequoia. I was like, that's an odd lyric. So I looked it up, and it turns out uh, it's not very clear, but it's this massive, massive tree like that big. Um, and so the idea here that Paul is talking about is that knowledge that's rooted, that grows into this mighty oak. I can tell you that that tree... It feels it when it rains. If there's a hailstorm, it, it feels the sting. There's hurricane winds, it, winds, it feels the pressure, but that tree is never going to be moved. If our love is so rooted and so firmly established, you, you will feel the sting. You will feel the pressure, but you will not be moved. You will be able to stand here after your home burns down and sing, count your blessings, name them one by one. That is being rooted and being firmly established. So that knowing, true knowing in the true sense of the term, yada-ing, as it were, he tells us the goal. It will lead us to being filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And this, spiritually speaking, will turn us into that. I don't know about you, but man, if there is a desire that I have, is to be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. You know, I want God to say of me, and you should want God to say of you what he said of Abraham. He is my friend. You know, the, we find this story in Genesis, and, and God is on his way to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah for the wickedness in the cities. And, and I love what God says to himself. He says, shall I withhold from Abraham what I'm about to do? God recognizes Abraham as his friend, and God is on his way to Sodom and Gomorrah. And he literally turns and goes to Abraham's house, and he tells Abraham what he's about to do. And this conversation follows between a man and his friend. And that is what we should aspire to. Man, I hope you aspire to more than coming in here on a Sunday. This is nice. Yes, we come together. We celebrate being members of the same household. But there is so much more. There is so much more. We tell our teens, man, God is speaking. You need to listen. And I tell you, today, if you do not have that relationship, God is speaking. What's more, God wants to speak. God is the initiator of salvation. He's the one who wants us. He wanted us before we ever wanted him. And we want, and we should want to be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. But where does it start? It starts with being firmly planted in love in an unshakable and unwaverable way 
knowing this love, truly knowing this love, recognizing and undoubtedly accepting it, which will lead to having power to grasp the width, the length, the depth, the height of God's love Jesus in Christ Jesus, and to personally, deeply, and intimately know this love and this God in a way that surpasses knowledge. You know, 2019 will be here in two days, and a lot of us have New Year's resolutions. A lot of us don't. We should. You know, some of us, maybe we make resolutions every year. Maybe we just copy-paste them from the last year, carry them over. Some of us have been copy-pasting for the last several years. I'm actually, I literally (laughs) copy-paste the same, same ones. But actually, I want you guys to hold me accountable. I will not be late in the year. What are you laughing at? (laughs) I said it in front of the church. My, one of my New Year's resolution is to work on my tardiness. And you all have permission to call me out on it. Not now. Obviously, it starts after the New Year. Obviously. <laughs> so, I strive towards my resolutions, and I know you, you should, and you will too. But what is the most important thing we should want? What is it that we should truly desire? This is a personal question, but I believe, man, this is the answer. That I, our desire should be to know this love. Because this love, man, there is nothing like it. And Paul, he's talking to, um, I forget who he was talking to. He was under trial, and and he's talking to the the judge. And he tells him about Jesus, and the judge asks him, are you going to convert me? And Paul says, I wish I wish that you were in every way as I am without these chains. Paul knows that treasure that is found in God through Christ Jesus is not found elsewhere. And if there is anything I could ever say, I desire and you should desire to know this love. You know, if our desires this new year are to be better husbands, wives, children, to do better in school, to lose weight, to keep fit, Budget better, give more, volunteer more. All these are fine goals for sure. They cannot, should not be our absolute goals. We cannot check off, man, I've been a great husband this year. I don't even know what that means. Well, my wife would be like, I know what that means. But if these are the goals that run your day-to-day life, man, you're missing it. They cannot, will not be sustained You know, your will, no matter how ironclad it is, it could bring a result if you're really disciplined. But it will never bring the righteous change that God desires in us. If our greatest desire instead is to know this love, to be firmly planted in this love, to be rooted and established in love, would you imagine what the church would look like? Because let me tell you something, everything starts from there. The tree has branches, and the branches of the tree of knowing God's love is I will serve better. I will will naturally want to serve. I will naturally want to give. That doesn't mean I won't struggle and and I, I won't have to overcome some selfish tendencies. But if my love for God is what drives me, man, then I will gladly give. I will gladly do. I will gladly go above and beyond because it all originates from that love. You know, over the next few weeks, as, as Corey announced, we'll have Vision Sunday. And 
Pastor Andy will cast the vision for the next year. You know, we'll be, as we go along, talk about stewardship. We'll talk about spiritual disciplines, fasting, and, and, and such. We'll talk about evangelism. All these, all these things are important, and they should be preached on, and, and we will preach on them. Well, let me tell you, man, that's working at the branches. If you have not rooted and firmly established yourself in the love that, of God that is found in Christ Jesus. Because this is what's going to happen. He's going to talk about fasting. And we are going to want to. And we will. For the first few days. Then we'll get really hungry. And then we'll think we'll die. And then we'll eat and then we'll feel bad. And then that will be done. Or if you're good, you'll get through the entire two weeks and you'll feel like a champ. And then you'll demolish the next meal that you have. <laughs> you know? Or when he talks about stewardship. This is what happens, and this was what has traditionally happened. Talk about stewardship of money. For a time, there's a spike in giving. But what happens? It then goes down. Why? Because that's branches that do not have an actual tree, that, that there is no root there. But this is the root. You know why those who give, give? Because they're not giving to glad tidings. They're giving to God. And yes, God doesn't need it, but it's an act of obedience. It's so much easier to obey when you love God. It's so much easier to serve God when you love God. And I will preach this, I will say this until our good Lord comes back or he calls me home. There is nothing like our God and there is nothing that compares to being known by him. To being firmly rooted and established in him. If, like, if we're to be like Jeremiah and, and Paul and to talk like they talk... Because they're not special. They're just attuned to God's nature. They're attuned to his love. And then it won't matter what life dishes. It won't matter what our year looks like. We'll be able to say, yet this I call to mind. And therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. And his mercies never come to an end. So I'll begin to end and I'll say that if you're here and, and you're on the outside looking in. Maybe you're here and this is your first time and, and all of this business about God going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah and turning around and going to have a conversation with Abraham is a little weird. You know, if, if this is all strange, then man, there's this verse that just says, today if you hear him knocking, don't say no, don't harden your heart. Because God is speaking. And God's desire is all of us in this household of faith. His love is freely given. And His desire is to be the Lord of your life. If that sounds scary, it isn't. I will argue till the day I die that no matter how good your life is, if it is without God, it is empty. And you, if you're to be honest with yourself, you probably know it. Nothing can fill the space that God created in your heart for Himself to fill. This is you. Uh, in a minute, I'll call up the prayer team. And, and if you desire a relationship with Jesus, as much as Jesus desires a relationship with you, just come up and ask for prayer. And one of our prayer team members will talk to you and pray with you. But if you're here, and this is a lot of us, and you know Jesus, and then you find yourself falling in the same pitfalls and, and, and the same patterns and habits, 
Again, I will repeat that God's love isn't contingent on what you do. Free your mind, free yourself. It is not about what you do. It's about what God did for you. If this is you, I just, I just ask you to free yourself and hold on to that love and come to the altar and pray above all not to fight these battles. And these are good battles to fight and these are battles we should fight. But the prayer that is probably more important than that is God, this prayer in Ephesians, let me know you, let me know your love. You know, lent by this, we have two disciples of Jesus and I love this story, and I love the contrast. We have Peter, and we know Peter. Peter's the loud one. Peter's the one who's always making bold declarations. They're at the Last Supper, and Jesus, the Son of God, God incarnate, says, you guys will all fall away, not Peter. Peter's like, not me. Jesus, they will fall away. I'm your, I'm your boy. I will not fall away. And Jesus says, oh, Peter, I'm glad you spoke, actually. Yeah. For the cock crows three times, you will deny me. And Peter's like, nope. I know you're God. <laughs> I believe in you, but you are wrong. Peter's loud. Peter always is action. I love Jesus and therefore. And then you have John. John refers to himself as a disciple that Jesus loved. At first, I used to think that's a little arrogant. Like, okay, yeah. But why does John refer to himself as the disciple that Jesus loved? It's not because Jesus loved him more than every other disciple. It's because John was aware of God's love for him, and he knew that Jesus loved him. And so we find in the moment of trial, when it all goes wild, Peter, who was not going to fall away, he falls apart epically at the questioning of a schoolgirl. She's like, I, I, you're with him. And she's like, nope, nope, never heard of him. And she's like, she's like I, th I believe I've seen you with Jesus. He's like, nope, don't know who he is. Their time, the Bible says, he is refuting and refusing with cussing. He's like, I do not know him. <laughs> you know, and, and, and what does John do? He falls away, sure. But at the foot of the cross, we find John as the only disciple who's there. I don't believe it's because John necessarily, again, was loved more. It's because John was aware. And when he fell, he just came back. When Peter fell, he fell hard. And Jesus had to go grab him. And so all that to say, man, God wants you. And he wants you to know his love for you. And he wants you to be rooted and established in that love. John goes on to say that we love him because he first loved us. Being centered in God's love will outstand your will, your will, uh, your ability or your inability. Shall we stand together? I'm going to call up the prayer team. Once again, if, man, if this is you in any way, shape, or form, or if you need prayer that has or does not have anything to do with this, I encourage you, man, do not leave without being prayed for. I'm just going to end by praying that prayer. We bow before you, Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. 
And we pray that out of your glorious riches, you may strengthen us with power through your spirit in our inner being. So that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. And we pray that we, being firmly planted in love, unshakably and unwaverably being planted in love, recognizing, accepting freely this love, that we would have power. That we would have power to grasp how wide and how long, how deep and how high your love is through Christ Jesus. And to personally, deeply, intimately know this love that surpasses knowledge. That we may be filled with all, to the measure, with all the fullness of you, our God. You are and you always will be after our souls and after our hearts. God, I pray that you may speak to us. Would you wedge out all falsehood? Would you wedge out all the things, God, that stand in the way of us grasping at your love and knowing your love? God, would 2019 be a year where we desire more and more and more than anything to be known by you, to be loved by you, And may we desire to grow in our love for you, that we may grow into that mighty oak that cannot and will not be shaken by the winds and tides of life. God, we need you. Holy Spirit of God, would you invade our lives, invade our hearts, break down all the things that need to be broken down. I pray that you may well in us a desire, an appetite for more of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We submit to you. For those of us who are not in the household of faith, God, would you continually woo them? Would you continually woo them? Would you continually show them that there is no life apart from you? And would you make that truth clear as day to them, God? For the good of your kingdom. And we ask that your kingdom here on earth will be seen as it is in heaven. We love you. We need you. We submit to you. In your most precious name, Jesus, we pray.